tons of exhaustion. I am one of three of the Divergents today, coming to you, discussing our personal opinions and views on topics such as diversity at the tabletop, or inclusion, accessibility, you name it, we're here to talk about it. I don't think there's a subject that's too sensitive for us to talk about, so we're going to talk about all of them eventually. So I'm going to let my co-host themselves and i'll let them choose whatever order they want to go in because why should i have to pick i'll go first uh, nerdy puerto rican i am the nerdy puerto rican uh, yes i'm a, yes i know my uh, brain is not working correctly so i'm just gonna speak in my english tongue unfortunately but hello everyone this is mikey i am the third divergent to make up this lovely trio i am also the youngest so be prepared i'm excited to be here i always love doing this and i'm really excited for tonight's topic because i got lots of opinions and we shall have a discussion to see where they go so i'm excited it's gonna be a good time (laughs) i agree i think tonight's topic is a good one i think they're all good but i think this one's a pretty good one though yeah so um so yeah Topic tonight: ability at the tabletop, and I'm going to let my co-host begin because I've got to take care of something real quick. Adolfo or Mikey, whoever would like to take this one on first, I'll be right back. Actually, I'm, I want to throw a curveball at you all because it is still dealing with accessibility, but it's a bit of a hot topic going on right now. So, a lot of theme parks are coming out with new rides, with new lands. So the new one that just opened up over in California ways is the the Super Mario World over in Universal. However, down in Florida ways, they've opened up a new coaster that has been long awaited down in Epcot called the Tron Coaster. All right. However, did you know that for the... The, the crown jewel ride over at the Super Mario World, you can't have a, a waistline of over 40 inches to ride that ride. And also, with the Tron Coaster, they apparently only have one car that is an accessibility car that, ha- that people with, with accessibility issues that, that, that they have to ride. Um, no, shut up. What? Yeah. Yep, it's only, there's only so one So basically car. they're relegating all of the handy capable to what? The back of the bus? Pretty much, pretty much. Oh, yep. hell yep. no. And I have not heard what, <laughs> what steps Universal has taken over in Super Mario World for the Super... So the ride is the Super Mario Kart ride and really popular but i haven't heard of of any sort of of any sort of steps that that they've taken for for people with accessibility issues because i know like for me like i'm rocking a 46 inch waist so i'm going by that whole thing like i'm not going to be able to ride it and also being someone with accessibility issues i my right knee is completely replaced and i got a rod down my tibia so i've lost a bunch of a range of motion i i cannot jam myself into one of those carts what say you divergence about about this this seems to be more the this seems to be the trend because also if you look at some other rides it seems to be that the rides so that they get more and more 
adrenaline going, they're becoming less and less accessible for people. So what say you? I can't let you go because I'm looking something up right now. So this is what I, so I want to start off with this. So this is in my 29 years on this planet. This isn't nothing new because usually anytime I go to a theme park, depending on the ride, there's always going to be some sort of issues. Now, thankfully, I'm rocking on a good day, a 38 waist, right? But I have thick thighs that save lives, people's. So unfortunately, while the waistline does fit my legs because of how big they are and my thighs makes me cramped up in a lot of these things. Now, to speak on what you're saying, Adolfo. So the big complaint that has been coming out with this Mario Kart ride in out of Hollywood for Universal Studios is that the lap bar does unless you are a very small framed person. You ain't going to be able to fit in there, which is weird. The fact that you have to be confined is so tight in the ride to begin with, because the premise of the whole ride is you're just in a stationary cart with the added effects of VR headsets. Like you're racing through the Mushroom Kingdom, but it's not like you're going upside down. You're not going at 60, 70 miles per hour like most coasters do. And it's on a stationary track. I guess because there are moments where your cart will spin in a circle and things like that. But anyways, that's besides the point. But the bane of the existence is every time we go to a theme park, I have to think, all right, which rides am I going to force myself onto in terms of squeezing things in and which one I'm okay with? Like, this is how bad it gets. So to make sure that I fit properly, I wear a compression shirt half the time when I go to these theme parks because... I need to make sure that I'm not flying off the coasters half the time, <laughs> but okay. it's crazy. <laughs> okay. So I just read a quick, I quickly read an article on disdining.com and it's called, here's how super Nintendo world provides accessibility without compromising intricate theming. <laughs> and already I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. The title of that article alone is, hold on one second, sorry. And it's a bummer because I was excited because I'm a big video game nerd. And so, of course, when I word first got spread that they were going to put a portion of Nintendo Land, which is in Japan, over into the United States for both the florida and the california parks i got really excited because i'm a big video game nerd person and the fact that universal is including video games and things like that into their attractions got me all excited but then once this article came out and then i was hearing about it i was like well that's disappointing which makes me even more interested in the fact that because florida is supposed to get an expansion because you know the florida park is a lot bigger than the california one not only are they having the Mario section, but according to some news reports, Florida is supposed to also get a Donkey Kong portion of the land in the next coming years, where one of their main attractions is going to be a barrel coaster. So if anyone has played the Donkey Kong games, uh, there's a section of the game where you're in the mines and you're in the mine cart playing as Donkey Kong and Diddy. And so essentially the roller coaster is going to be like that where you're traversing through a cavern and there's going to be a system where it's like the cart goes off the track, but not really because it's going to be suspended by suspension and all that. But 
that's for a different conversation. So now I'm just thinking, I was just like, damn, I was really excited. And now when this comes out, I was like, I could still go on the other rides, but even still. That so, was the whole point. Yeah. So this article I just read is talking about, it actually doesn't say anything about actual accessibility, except that it says that the handicapable or handicapped others are themed. Uh-huh. That's it. They're like, oh, so it doesn't, because they compared it to when the Harry Potter world opened, and they said yeah. that the like the wheelchair elevators felt more like a an afterthought, and so they were out of the way and video. Yeah. They're like these are like somebody, someone I don't can't remember what their handle was, but basically took a picture of one of the wheelchair elevators, and it's all like Mario themed inside and everything. But I'm thinking, okay, you put an elevator in, that's cool. Thank you, thank you for that. But what happens to them when they get to the top? Yep. Where do they go when they have to get on the ride? And I really don't like the idea of a relegated, and I don't, if, whether this is the way it is or not, I don't know, because you were just mentioning it. I, in my head, this is the way I saw. It was like a, regul, a, re, a relegated like car specifically for handicapped people. That that is, I'm fact check myself, but that was one of the big the big complaints coming out of the Tron ride, which was going through its soft opening, I think, like last week or so, is that okay. they have one car, one car for those that have accessibility issues. What the hell is that about? Why can't all cars be handicap accessible? <laughs> Come on, I mean, know that we we know that if you're in a wheelchair. We know that you can't take the wheelchair on the ride. That's the most of those roller coasters. It's impossible to do that because there's no way to secure a wheelchair properly. So you have to be able to have some sort of seating specifically for someone in a wheelchair. So why not make the seating be both handy capable and non-handy capable? Why does it have to be? Oh, we're going to make one seat specifically for a handicapped person, and we're going to put them all back here. But all the other seats are going to be for people who are quote-unquote, normal. So I don't understand why Why do designers, and this is going to drive, this is going to get us probably into some other things, but the designers who design these rides, why is that the furthest thing from their minds? And I know that, and I know that the percentage of handicapped people to the population of the area in which the park is being made is very minimal. I get that. But still, why not create a ride where the seats are adjustable to the person sitting in them, including us larger folks? I'm a big guy, too. I like to ride roller coasters. I think they're cool. I don't ride them because I can't fit into them comfortably. I can fit in. I can squeeze in and be like, okay, I'm here. Let's enjoy. Yay. But... Why is it that they are so hell-bent and determined to create a ride for, and and I hate to say it this way, but I'm going to, skinny people? Why? I want to know that. When there's a larger, the population of larger people in this country is getting bigger by the day. So why in the world would you not want to, I just want to look at the designers and go, why would you not want to design something? That is adjustable to the person sitting in it. Yeah. That can 
And that turned into something that can hold someone who sits in a wheelchair. Maybe they have the paralysis from the waist down. Okay. Then the seat should adjust to that person. Not the you should not relegate handicapped people to the back of the bus. Even though sometimes the back the back I it, that irritates the crap out of me. It's it literally it's okay, we're gonna move you to the back of the bus. Yeah. We're trying so, to hide you. Yeah, in, in regards to the Tron ride, um, I looked it up, and apparently if you are above a size 14 in pants, you won't fit on the ride. Uh, and not only do they have one car for people with accessibility is- issues, but they only have one one car that for larger guests to fit on. And this is so in California, this, right? This is the one in Florida, in Epcot. Oh, in Florida. Yeah. Oh, good okay. God. The Tron coaster is open in Etcot, and the way that the car is designed, I don't know the exact name for it, but because it's a Tron light cycle, the way that the car is designed, it is mirrored after if you were riding a motorcycle. So you straddle the thing. It's basically the equivalent of here in California at Knott's Berry Farm. We have a ride called the Pony Express, where the roller coaster cars are in the shape of horses. So you are sitting on it like you are. And so the way that it works is you have the seat come up and it pushes you forward to secure you in. So that's essentially what the same is for the Tron light cycle coaster as well. Yeah. You lay- Did you know what? Will, you know, you've, seen, you've seen Tron before, right, Will? Oh, yeah. Hello. So yeah, the way that you get in the light cycle is the way that they get in the light cycle in the movies. You actually like lay down in it and you grab the bars in front of you and then and then they lock you in. But uh, I don't know. That's what were you going to say? Go ahead. I was going to say, then don't design that. There were other cool ass like things in Tron other than those damn light cycles, which were actually boring as hell, by the way. The freaking the barge that bar, the that sailed on the data stream. That thing was kick. That thing was kick ass. Yep. So why don't they make mini versions of those? Why the light cycles? They know, they know the minute they look at a light cycle, they're going, oh, that's going to restrict who can ride on it. But that's okay. We don't care. And that's exactly what it is. Because if you cared, then your ride would be able to accommodate more than just a size 14. I wonder, I don't want to say translation issue. That's not the way that I want to. But, and y'all can fact check me on this because the Tron's the Tron light cycle, I believe is originally a Tokyo Disney thing. The ride originated in Tokyo Disney, and then they brought it over to the United States. Shanghai Disney. Still, you know where it's coming. That's what I'm saying. So I'm, that's why I'm just like, okay. And again, I want to preface by saying this. This is just me and just making some not I'm making some inferences based on what I know culturally about the world, because I know that overseas in Japan and Tokyo, just the way that society is built, you don't tend to see a lot of overweight individuals. So it makes sense that those rides were built for the people in mind. However, what I don't understand is when you translate that and you bring it over to America, I'm trying to figure out where our U.S. offices are miscommunicating and not making the adjustments that needed. Because socially, 
what we have in regards to not even just size, but the issues that health and all that stuff play a part into this is completely different than that overseas, especially since you are comparing Eastern and Western cultures in general. But you also so have to, I mean, go ahead. Going on with that, but you also take in consideration population size. You can sit, you can fit Japan probably in the middle of Texas. You got to think about population. Your population in the U.S. is like so much bigger, and there we have more obese people in this country. And to and of course, they're designing parks and rides for their younger generations. More so than like the our generation, they don't mean you know, for the most part they don't really design parks for like us. They design it for like our kids and our grandkids, and so yeah, they're going to be smaller, they're going to be thinner, they're going to be little because they're for younger people. But and I agree with you that if you're going to bring that over here, to you need to adjust it. It needs you need to think. It's like our population is not the same as Japan's population. It, our population is inherently larger. And so now, unless you're building Tron for like you have to be 14 or younger to ride it, then I'd be like, okay. Then I guess I could understand that a little bit. But if you're putting full grown ass adults on that thing, how many of us are like size 14? I don't know any. I, I, I don't have any friends that are size 14. Adults. None of us would get to ride the damn thing. And not only waist size, but just but height as well. I know a bunch of people that are over six feet that have issues riding all these new coasters now because they just they can't get into them because other coasters are built for five foot, I think five foot five frames. And also, and just as a sidebar, so. People don't think that we're just bashing on Disney. Apparently, the ride cars for the Super Mario Kart ride at Universal, they basically took the Japanese cars and just duplicated them over in the U.S., which I think is stupid. It just, it's the U.S. We're known to do things bigger. <laughs> Hell, a few years back, there was a big thing down in Disney. It was a big thing for theme park people. But they had to, on the older rides, like the ones that were built in the 50s when the parks opened up, It's a Small World, the Peter Pan Flight, even Pirates of the Caribbean, they had to shut the rides down for months because they had to rip all the old tracking out, which was made for Americans of the 50s, and put in like reinforced new tracking in for the Americans of now and the people of now. And if you already had that going on in your theme park, yeah, why would you make these ride vehicles so inaccessible? Because they are designing them for young people. That's why. Yeah, but you're not designing for us anymore. They're, we're out. No, we're relegated to go hang out in the beer garden. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, yeah, young people are. Oh, are I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I agree, but I don't know. Like me personally, like oh. if I was running a business like that, I would want to get as many people on that fucking ride as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So, you're darn tootin'. I. It would be like 
lar- extra large, extra large places for people to strap people with wheelchairs in, this, mm-hmm. that, and the other. The only thing I can I can think of is because it's a thrill ride. It's designated as a thrill ride that they are trying to that they did the calculations because those when you start getting into thrill rides, it, you know you're going faster, right? It, you do start causing a lot of like G forces, which cause a whole bunch of issues. As a matter of fact, there was a, I forgot what, it was in one of the Six Flags. They had a coaster in it. And one of the turns was just like, I think they were saying it was like 10 centimeters too tight. And it was causing such G-force on people that it was causing people like pass out and come off the ride with like bloody noses and whatnot. That's so they had like to, something in Texas. <laughs> so they had to take that curve off and just, and make it, not as curved. So the only thing I can think of is for quote unquote safety on these throw lights. But even then, I'm, it's just, like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. Are there any, can you think of any theme parks that are readily accessible for people with accessibility issues? I have one, and that's only because my eyes were opened when. I want to sh- listen as much as I have my issues with Six Flags Magic Mountain here in California. I do have to give them my issues are because the rides I wanted to get on were broken down. <laughs> I was so mad I couldn't go on the Justice League ride. I was so pissed. <laughs> but because I took a trip with a couple friends of mine, and one of our friends is handicapped. Yeah, handicapped. I don't want to say handicapped because that sounds really wrong. That's the other thing, too, is that has been so stigmatized so badly that I don't want yeah. to get canceled for saying it. My friend calls himself that, but I'm not sure. So I'm going to say handicapped. Well, why don't we ask our listeners out there, what is the proper terminology? Is it? Because I've heard differently abled. I've heard handicapable. What is it? So you leave us in the comments and leave it what you think it is. Yeah, please, because sure. I want to make sh- I want to make sure I do my due diligence. But because my friend is OK with it, that's what they call themselves because he is has a he has a walking cane because his knee is all messed up and everything. But this was the first time that he's gone with us because other times we've went either he couldn't go or he wasn't feeling good. But this is the one moment where it worked out perfectly for us. And so I will give Magic Mountain credit because they every single ride we went on, they had staff who were, first of all, were trained in helping getting my friend in and out of the car, which is important because not many theme parks do those types of training of how to handle individuals with disabilities and other things like such. Now, of course, it was nice, and I feel bad for saying this. It was cool because we always got priority because they'd be like, hey, you got a friend? Be like, you and your group will get priority boarding for everything. I was just like, I feel bad for saying it, but but other than that, every ride we went on, the staff was able to help my friend get in and out. They didn't put him in the back. They put him. Each car was designed to have the ability to fit the need of my friend. The only one we didn't get on were the standing coasters, but that's because we boys, we value our nutsacks, so we don't like to get on the standing co- Listen, certain coasters, it's not because I don't fit, it's because I want to feel down there afterwards. That's I don't want to have to 
I don't want to have to ice the boys later. <laughs> That's fair. But I was really impressed with Magic Mountain, not just with not just with the roller coasters, but the other rides they had and even the dining experiences, too, because we ended up going to one of their restaurants with his two stories and the staff was able to help our group out with our friend, use the lift and get all that stuff in. So I was like, Magic Mountain, I give you kudos. Well, but other than th that experience, every other theme park I've been to in my short time period of life, I really haven't seen anything like that. Let me, I'm going to touch on this as well. First of all, I don't go to theme parks anymore because I think they're for families and I'm not going to go there. Or. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that too. They're freaking expensive now. The thing that irritates me the most now, and I have noticed, and I have, back in the day, when I lived in Houston, we used to have uh, Astroworld, Six Flags Astroworld. And I remember standing in line at the Texas Cyclone, which was the big roller coaster there, the big wooden roller coaster. And they had, and like people in wheelchairs, they would go to the front of the line. Duh. And they would be like, yes, you're a wheelchair, come this way. And then the people in the line would just be nasty about it. Yep. And I'm just like, you people should be ashamed of yourselves. Who cares? You're going to get on the damn roller coaster eventually? Shut up. But I have never... It, it, it like breaks my heart to see humanity like that. That it's like we have no sympathy for those who are who have disabilities and things like that. We have no sympathy for them whatsoever. It's like, look, if the person's in a wheelchair, I don't care if they broke their leg or twisted their ankle or whatever, they're in a wheelchair, let them go up front. Who cares? And I've also, and I saw it at Disney as well, because I went to Disney in California. This was many years ago. And we were in line for the E.T. ride, I think, because we had our younger my cousin with us and he's oh i want to go on this ride and i was like oh okay because we we're standing in line and this family came by and it was an, an older i'm assuming either grandmother or something of that in a wheelchair <clears throat> and she had the biggest smile on her face because she just loved et and they were, she was they were taking her to the front and they were talking to her they were doing great i was like the staff were fantastic and but as she was passing the people in the line just bad mouthed i'm just like oh why does she get to Go and I guess if I got a wheelchair, I could go to the front too. And I'm just like you people. You need to find Jesus. Because my God, yeah. seriously, I have never in my life experienced such foulness and humanity than at theme parks. <laughs> I was like, I just I guess it's probably why I don't go anymore. Honestly, because I'm just tired of all of that negativity, and it's supposed. To to be this you know, wonderful experience that you take your friends and your family to and we're like, oh, let's go and let's experience these things together and then all you get is shit on the whole time you're there. By visitors not the staff and all that because every, every staff member I've ever encountered for the most part has been very helpful, very nice if we had a question they would answer it, if we would address it, and it was, I don't think I've ever had a negative experience with a staff member that I can remember with the people at the park. Oh, I hate those people. Because <laughs> they just make it miserable for everybody. <laughs> they do. Speaking from personal experience, I so 
when I go to theme parks because of my replaced knee and the rod in my tibia, I do have issues standing and like standing in lines because some of those lines they get up to two hours, three hour wait time. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the other things that affects me severely is crazy influxes in weather, which hello, Florida. That's <laughs> yeah, you know, that, seriously, that's, that's just a daily occurrence in Florida. And also uh, my leg just gets, get, gets fatigued. And not only do I get, start feeling a lot of pain, but my knee actually starts collapsing on itself. The few times, not the few times, but the times that I've gone to Disney world, I've used a cane. I've used a wheelchair. Hell I've used the motorized scooters and you're right. The, the staff is fantastic. <laughs> the staff is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but the theme park covers are just They're so worse. So nasty. Worse. So nasty. Uh, and now, you know, that I have three okay. a three year old, soon to be four year old, who's autistic, and my eldest, he's his he's well endowed in the top in his top half. And he's got unfortunately my genes where he's hefty. That comes into play. I just I get anxiety about going to theme parks, but we want to go to theme parks. You know what I mean? Because we're a family and that's one mm -hmm. of the things that we like to do. I will say one of the theme parks I've been having a pretty good experience at is Sesame Place. There's, I was just looking them up. I was like, yeah. just looking them up. There's one in PA <laughs> and then apparently there's, they opened one in San Diego. And the cool thing about Sesame Place is that it is a certified autism center. When we go and we take Loxus, my 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 three year old who has autism, you like it, it's it, it was nice because they had big signs on certain on certain restrooms that said this is a low what do they call it? It was like a quiet zone for people that are on the spectrum or have autism or whatever. If they're if there's if they're dealing with too much, that it's a quiet space that they can go and sit and decompress. And they have a lot of those areas all around. And also the staff was just really, really great with them. And also, thankfully, because most of the families that go there are, we're all same boat. There seems to be a lot more patience from the regular park goers because they're they're dealing with the same thing. I will have a little sidebar because just so you know someone might point it out. Sesame Place did have a little bit of a racial situation. I think it was last year or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that was just like a one-time occurrence. But uh, yeah, Sesame Place. I definitely dig it. Now, and it's funny too because we are planning on we are planning on going to Disney World. In a few years here, we're planning on going to Disneyland because over in Disneyland, they have the Cars World and all that. And Loxus, he, he loves cars and he loves the Marvel superheroes too. And they have the Avengers Academy over in Disneyland. And then we're also planning on going down to Universal. Not still three or four years away because we want to go when the Epic Universal stuff, adding a whole bunch of stuff they're adding. And this is the Universal in Florida. They're adding a Super Mario World. They're adding a How to Train Your Dragon World. Another. They're adding a lot. World. Yeah, they're adding a lot 
But um, this has been in the works for years, my yep. ad. Yep. But just the amount of research that that pre-research that we're doing to go to the to, to these theme parks is I mean, you can call it due diligence, but do all families have to do this type of research? You want the you want the quick answer to this? You want the quick answer to this answer? <laughs> Please go ahead. OK, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit because I'm about to. The quick answer to this question is hell to the no. And I put this in air quotes when I say it. this is horrible podcasting, but regular families. It Here's the thing. And this is just with anything in general, not even just what we're talking about, but anything that you can possibly think of. If you do not know somebody who is close to you or you have a friend or within that like very innate sphere of a relationship with, whether it be family, a close uh, your best friend, it could be your partner, like whatever, unless you have that firsthand experience of what it's like to take these things into consideration, most people don't give it a second thought. And I'm going to tell you why it's public knowledge. And I don't think my mom would mind me saying this, but so my mom is diabetic and she is the type that requires insulin. And so when I was younger, I remember having to like having this conversations. Let me think. I think when we last went to oh God, it was forever ago. But when we went to Disneyland when I was like 10, my parents had to sit me and my younger brother down and my mom had to explain to me, listen, I want to show you my insulin. We've seen her take it before, but just in case we're at the park, this is how, you know, and we were taught in case something happened and my dad wasn't around how to administer the insulin to my mom, where to put it and all that stuff. And even to this day, it's 2023, but like when I'm out in public with my mom and I go grab lunch because sometimes she'll need insulin before she eats her food. And it still boggles my mind because to me, this is normal because this is what I grew up on. This is what I've been around. But watching other people watch my mom like full out, just take out her needle and inject her insulin into it. And the looks my mom gets, I was like, really, really? It's 2023. We're still doing this shit. <laughs> I'm like, she's not dr she's not shooting up heroin in the middle of this restaurant. People calm down. <laughs> yeah, we but oh, go ahead. No, no, I was, no, I was just going to say I empathize with that because with the recent pregnancy, Alice was, oh my golly, what's it called? She was diabetic during pregnancy, but to a point that she had to take insulin as well uh, to regulate. And yep, my mom had to do that with both me and my younger brother. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right. The looks that you get from people that aren't in the know that it's like, the fuck do you want us to do? Carry around a big fucking sign that says diabetic needs to take insulin. My kid's autistic. Mind your own fucking business. Yeah. And on the flip side of things, too. So, again, you gentlemen know that I'm a pretty large guy in general. I'm a big boy, right? <laughs> now, what a lot of people don't know is that this wasn't by choice. <laughs> and I've actually have medical proof to back this claim up, but... When I was very young, I was really sick as a child. In fact, the first eight years of my life were in and out of multiple hospitals because I was really sick because my immune system wasn't work. Didn't want to cooperate with me properly. 
And so because I was sick a lot and I spent most of my time in hospitals, that means I got a lot of anabolic steroids for whatever it was going on. And as everyone knows, any type of steroid, when over time, if you take enough of it, they tend to make you gain mass in multiple areas. And so I was a big chonky boy by the time I was like fifth grade. And so my parents felt so bad because of me being a big kid. But it wasn't because they were. My parents got accused of not feeding me properly, not like all this kinds of stuff from people who weren't the nose. No, he's just big because he was on a lot of steroids as a child. <laughs> but the fact, people jump to conclusions. And then that's the thing, too. And it. Now, granted, I am currently on a regimen to lose weight because my goal is I would like to get down a couple of T-shirt sizes. So that way I have a plethora of options because the fashion world isn't big person friendly unless you're Rihanna. Hey, Riri, call my numbers right here, girl. <laughs> but to like circle back to everything, unless you know somebody immediately that is has any form of disability, whether it be a physical, mental disability, learning disability, unless you have people in your immediate circle and you're exposed to that, the general public isn't going to think about it. And I think that's also why a lot of these theme park designers don't take these into consideration because one, they're big conglomerate corporations. So dollar bills is the bottom line. But I honestly, unless they have that personal experience, their intention behind things is not to think about everyone. It's like, all right, let's just think of the general populace because that's the majority of the people. And I honestly believe if they had personal experience or if they know someone close to them that had to, then they would put those things. But intention is key when it comes to anything, whether it's designing these rides, the intention of how you run your games when it comes to addressing these types of things. I think intention is the key thing behind all this. And unless you have personal experience with it, you, that intention is not going to be there unfortunately which is sad and i'm not saying it's right i'm just making some observation and inferences based on my personal experience but what i have seen in my own personal life as well as out in the general world that i live in so that i'm getting off my soapbox now so i'll let someone else speak <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna piggyback on what adolfo was talking about earlier about i put a link in our chat our general chat of 12 best friendly theme parks and there are more than I, there are more than I thought there were like Discovery Cove in Orlando Disney World Legoland Disneyland in Anaheim there's a place called Morgan's Wonderland in San Antonio, Texas that I have never heard of this is my first time hearing of them but they've given I think they're considered the world's first fully accessible family theme park and water park it says that the inclusive park breaks down barriers for guests with a variety of special needs, including cerebral palsy, cognitive, hearing and vision impairments, and autism. One third of students attending the adjacent academy at Morgan's Wonderland, a school for children ages 12 to 24 with special needs, are on the autism spectrum and attend education classes right at the park. So it's an entire family-friendly park that is completely centered around people with disabilities. And I think that is amazing. 
I see. I want. I, I want to go to San Antonio and check that out now. Dollywood is on this list. <laughs> but is Do- listen, Dolly Parton. I don't care what nobody says. I stand her. She's an icon. She's been an ally forever. She just gives no flying fucks whatsoever. Oh. She's don't be a hateful person. I'm like, yes, Dolly Parton. You tell them. <laughs> exactly. I love me some Dolly. I've been to Dollywood, and Dollywood's awesome. <laughs> it is a true homage to Dolly, and it's the best experience ever. But also, I was on TikTok the other day, and a video came across my my For You page of, and I'm pretty sure you guys have probably seen it, but it's the, um, I'm assuming it's in Disney, Florida, I think. I don't know, it could have been California, I can't remember. But it's the Maleficent and the Boy with Autism. Have you seen that? Yes. Oh, it's one of my favorite. Oh, I know. I love it. What happens? Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful thing. Oh my god! If I can find it, I'll tag it in our thing. But he's—he's, he's, I think he's non-communicative. I believe, and yes. and I think he loves Maleficent. Loves so loving and caring with him. And I mean, it. Oh, it's just when she'll ask him if he wants to do something. If he doesn't, she just lets him do his thing, and he you know, doesn't force anything. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a oh, beautiful video. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to see if, if I have it. I can't remember, but it is a beautiful video. But and I, that's funny. And I'll give shout outs to those Disney, those some of those characters. They really do take their time. And, and they and I'll tell you this: I have friends that work for Disney, and the people who play the characters are some of the most abused characters by visitors. Oh yeah, and I'm just like that is ridiculous. Like, why are you going to Disney and like tormenting a Disney princess? Are you, is it jealousy? What is it? I don't understand that. (laughs) Do you want to be a princess? You can be a princess if you want to. It is 2023, people. I know. I'm just, I don't understand that. But it's a beautiful video. I don't want to get off topic, but it's a beautiful video. And it just shows you that idea of accessibility inclusion. It's there. It is. It may not, we may not see it in the big picture, but it's the small pixels which is what makes up the big picture. That's what makes the change is if you have those sorts of those types of advocates, those people who interact with people that most people would run away from. And I've seen it. I've seen characters go, oh, no, I don't deal with that. And they wander off. But this woman just full on accepts it, pulls into it and just it's beautiful. It was a beautiful. It's a beautiful. It gets me every time I watch it. And it's just beautiful. But sure, and that, yeah, go ahead. No, uh, I'm, 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 okay. And that goes to what I was saying too. It's about intention. So one thing I love, especially within the last couple of years, especially at Disney, the cast members that put on these costumes and are the princesses or the villains and all that kind of stuff. I have seen so many videos of individuals. I remember what was it? I think the recent one. There was like a somebody in a Minnie Mouse costume at Disneyland. And there was this little boy who is deaf. So he signs. And so the mom was like trying to communicate and Minnie just jumped into it and started signing back to the boy. And he was shocked and the mom was shocked. I was just like, yes, this is what I want to see. It has to the intention has to be there. And I think. Which on the one hand, I love and intention has to be there and these people care. And so just being more educated and more well aware of the different types of individuals that live within society, 
I'm not saying that you have to be an expert on everything, but just being aware and just the learning process, I think is, I think honestly is where the biggest issue comes up with this type of stuff is that again, so many people are so unaware of all the different nuances and things like that. When it comes to individuals like, who for better for who are on the spectrum or who communicate with sign language and just all the variety of different things that are out there. You think education is the important part. But again, most people don't get educated unless it happens to them or if they, it happens to somebody close to them. Now, I'm very lucky because I have two parents that raised me. I was a pain in the ass growing up, but they raised me and they taught me a lot of things about the world, especially my mom and being a paraeducator who works with special education and special needs students. In fact, she and my grandma did that for a very long time. So I got firsthand experience with those students and I... Those are the moments that will stick with me, especially as an educator, because before coming a, becoming a teacher, I was a paraeducator substitute and I got to have nice relationships with these types of students and work with them. This, those types of assignments when I went in substitute tended to be one of my favorites because I learned so much, not just about the, the I guess, the scientific process of it and like the knowledge portion of it but getting to see them and interact with them ha means so much to me and unfortunately unless you go seek it out or if it happens to you or somebody close to you people are and this is a blanket statement so i just want to preface that i don't think everyone is like this just from my experience people don't give it a second thought <laughs> and so that's why I think it's great that people are taking step forwards to make this more aware and to be inclusive. But I also seen it on the other side of things when people I don't want to say try too hard to be inclusive, but then the genuineness behind being inclusive kind of loses its charm. And then it starts to become more of a manipulative type of thing. Yeah. And I have seen it backfire so much. And oof, I have some stories. I have some thoughts when it comes to that. But we can uh, I'll wait until we get to those portions to discuss that because there's some oof. I'm heated. <laughs> so now let's so let's go ahead and seg into now that we got this primer out of the way. Let's seg into accessibility in Let's start with accessibility in entertainment or accessibility representation in entertainment. What, Mikey, what do you think? So this one's really interesting because you could break this category into two separate subsets. I'm going to be using film and TV and cartoons for this basis. But when it comes to the inclusivity and the representation, I can divide it into two, maybe three categories that we could talk about. There's racial representation, there's orientation representation, and then there is all the other nuances that get included like that. So like representation of people on the autist on the autistic spectrum, those who like representation just on the spectrum in general and other things like that. I think within the last couple of years, just being a person who is 
pop culturally knowledgeable. It's very interesting to see what has happened within the last couple of years, because like in film right now, looking at all the award shows and everything that has happened, what has been. I think the movie was fantastic, but just hearing all the actors and actresses and the people that worked on the everything all between I keep getting the name wrong all the time. Hold up. I want to make sure I say this because they deserve it because I thought the movie was great, but I just want to make sure that it is. I'm saying this. Oh, that's the Michelle Yeoh one, right? The- <laughs> yep. Everything, everywhere, all at oh, once. Yeah, all at once. That's it. Uh, that movie it was so much fun to watch. I loved it. It was at first the trailer. I was like, what is this movie? And then I saw it. I was like, oh, OK. Now I understand why they went with that kind of marketing. But it's so weird to see this is just like hearing all their stories is just damn. I forgot how fucked up Hollywood was <laughs> and still is. <laughs> Especially I was just like, you know what? Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've seen accolades and awards for people of Pacific Islander or even Asian descent. And so I was like, has this really been the first time really that we've had this kind of holy shit? What is wrong with us right now? But for me, I think. Yeah, the representation can for me is divided into three categories like orientation, mental and physical like disabilities and racial representation. So those are like my main three when it comes to all across my medium. I think that racial representation, I think, is probably at the forefront of everything, because now as we look across all our TV shows and movies, Like everyone is trying to keep everything as diverse as possible, but there's also a lot of backlash. What's it called? I believe like, for instance, I remember this happening when The Good Doctor first premiered on ABC. Right. So The Good Doctor is about the doctor who has he's on the spectrum of some sort. I don't think it's Asperger's, but he's on the spectrum. But the actor himself is not right but he's playing a character who is and i remember there was such a big backlash with this actor of not being a person who actually lives that experience playing that character this fictionalized character who does right and so i I was just like i'm i'm one of the few people where i was just like i understand where the outrage is coming from but i don't necessarily think it's the worst thing that could possibly happen, especially if the actor does their research, but also is respected as being respectful when they're doing it and not making a mockery of it. I don't know. That kind of thing toes the line for me where I understand the outrage. But for me personally, it doesn't necessarily make me that upset. But maybe that's because that I've grown up in an age where I've had all these experiences and I'm used to it. So I was like, oh, OK, that's cool. I was like, are we making a mockery of it? No. OK, you're cool with me. That's fine, I guess. Also, <laughs> just, also- so, just so real quick, just so we're doing our due diligence, as we like to mm-hmm. say here, as savant syndrome. OK, that's what it was. So savant syndrome. Yeah. And I remember the outrage and I'm like, I understand the outrage, but it's not the worst thing that has happened within the last couple of years. So I don't know people. Let's just give it a chance and see 
if it continues to improve or if he makes a mockery of it, then we can come for him. I don't know. But go ahead. And I'm just going to touch on what you're talking about. It's like, I mean, I'll use like gay actors and things like that sort of thing. To talk about how there's such a huge uproar about straight actors playing gay roles. So many gay actors out there. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But being in theater, being a theater professor, being a director, being a sir, I'm going to cast the person who's best for the role. And I don't think about their sexuality. If I know an actor can play a role honestly, because that's what it's about. It's really about being honest. If you're going to portray a character, because and I'll use an example outside of this, but there's of mice and men. We there's the character that is has a mental disability. Right. Yeah. For the most part, the actors with mental dis- disabilities don't play the role. They're usually you know, actors who do not have mental disabilities, that sort of thing, and they play the role. The thing is, it's important to play the role honestly, not to make a stereotype or a mock, or some sort of caricature. So as a theater person, if I if I have a character that, if I have a, I'm doing a play, and we'll say, for instance, Angels in America, where a lot of the main, if I have a, an actor who happens to be gay that can do the role, then I'll cast him in it. If, but if this other guy comes in and blows him out of the water in the audition, then I'm going to cast that guy. And I think you know, it's the same thing with Movies, and one thing people have to realize about movies is it's not about the actor, it's about the name power. They got people have to start realizing that people make movies with famous names in it. Because think about let's talk about Brokeback Mountain for a second. Imagine if J- Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger were not cast in that role, but like Joe Smith and Jack Benny were Jack Benning were cast. Who the hell are those people? <laughs> so it's like People want to go see Brokeback Mountain because Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger are going to be gay lovers. So, it, and, and I hate, and I'm, I don't hate to say it because it's true, is we fetishize these things. Oh, yeah. We fetishize it. We think that, oh, ooh, here's two, I'm going to use the, I'm going to put air quotes around it, is two straight men playing gay characters and we're going to get to see them like make out and do things. That's hot. We're fetishizing it. <laughs> yeah. Do I wish that there was more representation of, I can tell you they're there. Most, and I can tell you most gay actors are not going to tell you they're gay. Right. Because in, in Hollywood, now can actually hurt your career. So that's why we don't have that quote unquote representation, even though it is there. It's a hidden representation. And that's, but see, that's the thing is, I don't think, I don't think that gay actor, that actor who's gay, to be forced to come out of the closet if they don't want to. And that's what we as a society are doing. We're forcing these gay and lesbian actors who are not ready to come out of the closet. We are forcing them out. And I think that's wrong. Again, do I want more representation? Absolutely. But I see it on television more so than in film. And I think television is a great place for it. It's a starting point. Eventually we'll get there. The funny thing is there's a great there's a great documentary called The Celluloid Closet. And it talks about gay representation in film way back 
from the beginnings of film to the to when at that time the current system. And it is a great documentary. You should, if for those people listening, y'all should go check it out. It's called The Celluloid Closet. And it's great because it talks about in the early films, gay characters were, were like shown as like clowns and be sissies. Yeah. And then eventually they became, when we got into the 60s and 70s, gays became the. The, the, but you feared. Yeah, they were basically, you feared them. Cruising. Yeah, like the movie Cruising. And there's a, several other ones. But And then once we got into the 90s, into the 2000s, when homosexuality is becoming less, and people really don't care anymore, the majority of people are just or whatever, now we're starting to see it, gay people in a real light in like television sitcoms even in some movies. So I think I don't understand when people are like, I want us to have more representation. I, as a gay man, I don't understand what they're talking about. Like, where do you want it? Do you want a film that's all gay all day? Or I don't understand what that means. I'm, I can understand like when people are like, Oh, we want more movies with people of color. Okay. That's cool. Absolutely. But I don't understand what people want when they say they want more gay representation. Like, truly, I want to be educated because I don't know. I think we've got a lot of actual like, representation in, in, in film and television at the moment. Yeah, would you like a few others? Yeah. Do we want a leading character that's a gay character? Absolutely, that would be great. But I think for the most part, we're... And again, it's because being gay is still considered a stigma, you're not going to have actors come rushing out of the closet because they want to work. And it's, I'm not saying gay people can't be leading men because I can guarantee you that we've had some leading men in movies that are gay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I think a big part of it is in the writing process in Hollywood that they have people that are trying to write these characters that have no frame of reference and bring it, bringing it back to, to accessibility and representation. Look at what Hollywood has done with representation of certain mental disabilities. Rain Man, more recently in the 2018 Predator movie, not the one that was on Hulu, but the last one that was on the big screen, they had an autistic portrayal of a child. And what did they do? They made the... They made the child like stereotypical autistic, nonverbal, and like super intelligent with numbers and yada. And so, would it hurt these writers to take 10 minutes and do a little bit of fucking research on, on the character or on what they're trying to portray? Because I like, and this is my personal opinion, but I feel that because we have had these stereotypical repre representations of, of gay people, of autistic people, of people with disabilities in, in, in Hollywood and in media, I feel that has heavily weighted society, American society's portrayal of what, what it means to be, insert blank, what it means to be gay, what it means to be autistic, what it means to be a person with a disability. And I think that that's been that's detrim that's been detrimental. That's I feel that's very de detrimental. 
that's where I, I don't know if you all saw my brain just kind of like <laughs> I did. I was like, oh, something either something really big is coming or right. his brain just flatlined. <laughs> I'm going back on track now, I think. It's something that we've been living through recently with my son. He's he's autistic. We have taken him to the children's hospital here in Jersey, and he has been diagnosed by doctors. Yet we get people that quite often say, oh, he doesn't seem autistic. Oh, he doesn't act autistic. It's oh my God. I feel that a big part of that is is tainted by the way that people with disabilities and LGBTQ society has been portrayed for the longest time. Gay men have been portrayed as, as the flaming queen. So, Will, I'm sure you've gotten numerous times where people have been like, oh, you don't act gay. Yeah, I get it all the time. I do. They go, wait, (laughs) what? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you're gay? You don't look gay. You don't act gay. I'm like... And and throughout my life, that's something I've gotten. Oh, you don't act Puerto Rican. You don't look Puerto Rican. I'm just like... like, What is that? I know. And I think that because... Our society relegates everything to stereotypes. And forever. The biggest time, you you can go all the way back to the 1800s and see it in the minstrel shows. You can go all the way back before that and the clowning. You can see stereotypical representations of disabilities, really. Yeah. And race and orientation and you name it, you can stereotype it. Age, age is another thing that people can stereotype. Yeah. And so I, when it comes to accessibility, I think what people need, and this is my opinion, of course, what I think is we need better representation in the respect of honest representation as opposed to stereotypical representation. So if a straight actor is playing a gay role, as long as they're playing honestly then i don't care i don't that when it comes to the to lgbtq now again and i I hate to keep saying this to everybody but i'm i'm a gen xer so i don't really care it's like as long as you do it honestly because that's theater as long as you are playing honestly and you have done your research and you aren't just going out there and doing a big O stereotypical limp-wristed Raymond Queenie, because guess what? We're not all like that. That's just, we're not all big butchy bears either. The community is vast and varied, and you can't... And that's the other thing, is I think that people try to represent like gay culture in a sort of cookie cutter version of it like this character represents the whole community yeah look they can be both effeminate and masculine they can do this they can do that they can also do this and that so they try to create that that this is what the gay community is in this one character and that's impossible it is and it's crazy (laughs) because We seem to find this in every subset of category. So 
just a few things. So my experience has been very interesting because some of the things that I have got, I've had the opposite problem where people weren't telling me, oh, you don't act gay. Are you sure you're not gay? I'm like, what is that even supposed to mean, people? Yeah. I was like, what is happening? What, do you I was want like, me to prove it? Is that what you're asking me here? Are you asking me? I was just like, it? I was like, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary people of the court, I was just like, I don't know how much more I can prove that's not what I am. Now, granted, I've had different experiences with my orientation. I was like, it's not a phase. That's the other thing that made me mad. It's like, oh, it's a phase. You'll grow out of it. I'm like, I've been told you just haven't met the right girl yet. There is no right girl, honey. I'm sorry to tell you that. (laughs) Listen, I am spoiled for choice. But at the same time, I'm like, that's not how that works. (laughs) No, not at all. It's not how any of this works. <laughs> the one that really irritates me is, oh, you don't look Mexican. I'm like, are we not looking at the same thing here? I was like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to look Mexican? And I think people goes, are just, sometimes I just think people are ignorant. They're stupid. <laughs> truly. I try not to use the word stupid, but they are truly ignorant in the fact that I have a very good friend who is, oh my God, Hispanic like mexican <laughs> that's not mexican mexican <laughs> and he's very proud of that but he gets called native american all the time and he's i have no native american in my genes anywhere because i am literally my family is originally from spain they moved his great-grandparents moved to mexico and then they've lived in mexico the, their entire lives his entire life. So he's I am Mexican. He's I am not Native American. I'm not an I'm not a I'm not an Aborigine, basically. I'm not a native a Native American. It's not who I am. I'm not. I'm Mexican. And they're like, no, I can see it. I can see the Native American features. I'm like, do I need to take a 23 and me test to prove it? Come on, you guys. And I'm, and immediately I'm like, what are these exactly? they're like oh uh, and then they stutter through it but i just think people are ignorant people just anything is people just see all brutal and kind of lump them into one category oh yeah they don't even want to try to distinct have any type of distinction between mexican puerto rican cuban nicaraguan or any of those they don't want to they don't want that's why i don't like using the term hispanic because it was a name that the white people in government yeah, gave everybody from to like, generalize yeah. all the ver- various Spanish. cultures of latin america i was just yeah. like i was like white leave it to, yeah leave it to the white people in government to fuck it up for everybody <laughs> yeah that's why yeah exactly that's why i don't like to, i it's ingrained in me because i'm getting genetic and oh, I don't like to be called that. I'm like, okay, what do you want to be called? Because I need to know if I refer to you like, oh, I have this friend who is brown. <laughs> I don't. It's like Latin, Latinx, Latino, Puerto Rican, Mexican. What? what? And I think that's. I think a lot of white people can't handle it. <laughs> I think their brains no, can't they handle it. They can't. I think that's that's why they go Hispanic. Yep, their brains just pop. <laughs> or what's the other one? Mexican American. Mexican, yep, Mexican American. Yep. All of you are Mexican American. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> it's like I'm not from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, it just drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, that, that was. Did, did I share that story already about when I performed at the One Run Fair? 
Yes. And, uh, you did. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I, don't, oh, God. I don't like telling the same joke twice. In oh, the, God. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. That's, Wait, I don't know. Is it the one with the woman? The lady no, that's, who... That's when I was cutting lawns. Okay. Maybe I don't know this one. Or maybe you need to start it, and then I can go, oh, yeah, I know this one. Because the first... Okay. First you're like, so, no, like, maybe? All right. As you all know, I perform in Renaissance fairs, right? And... I have been, I don't want to say it's a silent war, but I have been trying to bring more, not just Spanish representation into Ren Fairs, but representation of where I'm from, of Puerto Rican representation. Because it, it, what people don't like to, or choose, maybe they choose not to, or they just don't know, the Renaissance. The money that was used for the Renaissance and to fuel all this great innovations that happened in Europe, that was very much stolen off the backs of, of the people of Latin America, you know, of the people in the Caribbean, of the people in Central America, the white European colonizers, Spain. England, the Dutch, they came in and they saw that gold and they did everything that they could to bring that gold and silver and all that stuff back to Europe to fuel the Renaissance. I've been doing like a little one man thing to bring that into the forefront, show people that, yeah, no, Europe just wasn't the only thing going on in the Renaissance. There was a lot going on. But at any rate, so I was performing in this in this Renaissance Fair here in Jersey. It wasn't the New Jersey Renaissance Fair. It was a another Renaissance Fair, a small Renaissance Fair down in South Jersey. I don't want to put them on blast because they are a small fair. And I'm going to respect them like that. But at the same time, they asked me to be this to be a the ceremony of the fight or the not the ceremony of the fight. The oh my god. Oh, I forgot. The master ceremony. Thank you, honey. The master ceremony of the fight. Because, okay. again, because it, w because it was a small renaissance fair, we couldn't have a jazz or anything, but we did have stage combatants, and we did a tournament type thing. And I was the master of the, uh, masters of the, master of the fight. So I was given carte blanche. The theme for this renaissance fair is is characters from stories fictional characters right we had captain hook and we had the queen of hearts right so i decided to take a folk hero from puerto rico of the area of the time his name is aguabana he was one he was the tribal chief of the taino and he led a insurrection against the spanish and actually was successful to a certain point i did research i god i just like and it was it's it was this thing because historically the people from that area they were actually peaceful people they didn't fight they weren't like the mines or the aztecs who the mines and the aztecs they had their jaguar warriors and they had the all those cool the cool outfits that they would wear into battle and whatnot but the taino of puerto rico they didn't really have that so i had to hollywoodize a little bit but at the same time doing my best to, to keep it 
respectful right. of where I was coming from. And sure shit, I went on, I did the thing. People enjoyed the show. People enjoyed my, my performance. But the next year, the director gets in contact with me and he was like, uh, oh yeah, we want you back as the master of ceremonies, blah, blah, blah. But we need you to look more like the, we need you to look more like, more like the, more like the court and the court being stereotypical Western European king, queen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I begrudgingly at first I accepted it, but then as time went, it just kind of sat on your soul and I sat on my soul and I was just like, wow, I guess I was too Brown for the, for that, for that. Wow. And that's, that's, it's rough. Yeah, I can. Uh, imagine, well, I mean, I can't imagine because I'm not. I don't have brown skin. Like, Maybe uh, I can tell you some multiple stories. I can imagine, sure, and I'm I sure Adolfo has many more that we I, can I'm share. Sure. I'm absolutely sure. Even as a white gay man, I probably have not had anywhere near as many like issues as you guys have had, and which is. And I hate the fact that we have to compare our traumas. It's like, which it really, which is really sad. It's like, oh, here, how many traumatic experiences have you had because you're brown compared to my, how many traumatic have I had because I'm gay? And it's like, wow, we have to measure it like that. That's a slippery slope when we start doing that. I mean, it just, yeah. what does that say to, what does that say about us as a society that in order for us to, we have to compare our trauma? <laughs> I smell the topic for our next episode. <laughs> it's being continuing this two-parter, I think, because we're we're going to talk about Let's accessibility, go. and we're going to talk about representation versus exploitation. Ooh, put, put me in, Coach, because that will be our that will be the topic for our next yep. session, which will be will carry from this because I want to talk about the idea of representation versus exploitation because i think we're seeing a lot of it right now and but we'll but that'll be for our next session so i think we'll end our we'll end our chit chat for tonight here make sure you come back and see the next or listen to the next episode where we talk where we carry on this topic of accessibility representation and then we're going to move it into the idea of exploiting that representation, which, again, I think we're seeing a lot of. So thank you for joining us all here on The Divergence. I am, of course, Will, your white man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your white gay cis man representing my white cis gay people. I don't know. I'm going to try and be I'm representing Generation X. How about that? Yeah, and I'm I have the fortune to get to do this with these two amazing gentlemen who I will let them introduce themselves or yeah, outro, outro outro. themselves. <laughs> whatever, out themselves to you all. <laughs> yeah. So you guys take it away. Adolfo, you go. Just go. Okay. <laughs> I am Adolfo the Nerdy Puerto Rican and uh, yeah. Next next episode, I'm gonna talk about Barbara Gordon. Ooh. Barbara Gordon. Child, let's go. <laughs> that, that, that leads into the that or that that piggybacks off the whole. Yeah. Oh, this is a 
Oh, this is going to be it went from a good episode idea. This is going to be a great episode idea. I am so excited. I am here for it. But once again, everyone, this has been Mikey, one of the other hosts of the Divergence, as well as the Mad Lad founder and leader for Vibe Tribe Productions. But thank you for joining us for another episode of the Divergence. I'm so excited to continue this conversation into next episode. But until then. From all of us here at the Divergence, as well as Vibe Tribe Productions, remember to take care of yourself, love one another, and as always, make sure that those good times keep on rolling. But until then, we will talk to y'all and see y'all later. But until then, ta-ta for now. This has been a Vibe Tribe production. Remember, take care of each other, love one another, and as always... Keep those good times rolling. We'll see you next time.